I tell you what, we were created to do that. Created to worship. And uh, I can sense God's presence this morning. I want you to remain standing just for a minute, if you will, and take your Bible and go to the book in the, uh, the New Testament book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter number four. And uh, it's an honor to get to fill in for our pastor, Pastor Malcolm. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with me, I'm Brother Travis Sharp, the director of Unsheltered International. Uh, my family, uh, April's my wife, uh, our kids Hunter and Sarah, we've been members here since 2009, and we just so enjoy the ministry of Temple Baptist Church. And I know you do as well. So uh, I want to read you some verses. And I really feel, by the way, I want to tell you this. I really feel like the Lord gave me uh, exactly what we need today. Because we're living in, in, in such uh, turbulent times and, and different times. And I think the message will speak right to our hearts this morning. I want to pick up reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in verse number 13. The scripture says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And I like this part. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Well, that's a good place to be right there, isn't it? One more verse, number 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I want to have a word of prayer. And then I want to speak to you this morning about comfort in the chaos. Comfort in the chaos. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for God's precious word. Thank you for everybody in attendance this morning. Now God, the truth is we need your help. I need your help to preach. And everybody, everyone in here, including me, needs your help to hear what you've got to say to us. So please touch us this morning. Please cleanse our hearts and our minds and, and please 
let us say everything that we've prepared and that you want us to say. And, oh God, please hinder us from saying anything that we shouldn't. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for for standing. Uh, You can be seated. At the end of the message, I have an awesome update about our tiny home village project. I know many of you have been praying about that. And so a preacher asked me to give an update. And so we'll do that at the end. But I want to ask you this. Have, uh, have you ever experienced a, a, a time of personal chaos? If you're alive and you have lived in 2020, raise your hand. Amen. Chaos simply means disorder. It means when the pieces are out of place. It's when things are unfamiliar. Chaos means confusion. And chaos can be different in in all of our lives. What one person, what may be chaotic for one person might be a walk in the park for another. But the fact is, each and every one of us has experienced those times in our life where we're just distraught or discouraged or we can't collect our thoughts like we normally do. I remember one of those times in my life when I was uh, a very young Christian. As many of you know, I grew up in, in South Florida in the same town that Pastor Malcolm uh, grew up in. And his dad, Malcolm Sr., is the one that led me to Christ. But our pastor, uh, Malcolm, was, was like my biggest influence because he was my age and he was already preaching and just a wonderful preacher uh, even when, when, when we were younger, and I looked up to him in awe because there's someone just a year or two older than me and, and, and preaching God's Word like all the older preachers. And I got saved, and then about seven or eight months later, <clears throat> there were so many things in my life that just began to fall apart. I had a girlfriend that, that was a, I had had for a long time, uh, loved her dearly, and, and that whole thing began to crumble. I can look back now and see the hand of God in it, but then it was my world falling apart. It was so bad I couldn't eat anything but Little Debbie's for a whole week. <laughs> I, I had to eat something. I had a job, I worked at Winn-Dixie as the night crew manager and I would drive to work about 11 o'clock and there for about two solid weeks I would weep my way to work over this deal and I would play, uh, he stopped loving her today over and over and over. And I swore that I'd stop Loving her when I died, you know, when they carried me away. And it seemed like my whole life was chaos. There was uh, friends that I had lost because I had become a Christian. And 
one night in particular, everything had just gotten so bad that I was just so confused. I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go talk to to Brother Malcolm, uh, our pastor. And uh, this was in 1995. And so I drove to his house to, to Lakewood Park where he and Tammy lived. And it was real late, like 10.30 or 11. And I went in and I began to tell him all of my woes and all my problems. And he listened to me and uh, everything. And by the time I was through, it was after 11 o'clock. And he turned and looked at me. And he said this. He said, let me ask you a question. Is God calling you to preach? (laughs) Brother Doug, I said, well, how am I supposed to know? That thought had never entered my mind before. Never, not once. Even though I admired Brother Malcolm, it had never entered my mind, I want to do what he's doing. And and, and I said, I don't know. And then he said, well, I tell you what. Why don't you go home and pray about it and I'll be praying for you. Looking back on that, I really think he was just trying to go to bed because it was like (laughs) almost midnight. And I myself have used that same technique over the years. But I left. I said, okay, I'll go pray. And I left there. And I got in my truck and began to go down the road. And the the chaos I had before was all of a sudden doubled. Because now he stopped loving her today and little Debbie's and all this stuff. And now, does God want me to be a preacher? And the only way I can describe my mind that evening was like Atlanta traffic, Spaghetti Junction. All these thoughts going over my head and beside me and around me. And and no one thought would stop where I could grab it. It was chaos. He told me to go home and pray, but I couldn't make it home. I got a couple miles from his house and there was a little elementary school and I just pulled my truck off in the parking lot and put it in park and I began to cry. I said, Lord, I'm all confused and now he thinks I'm a preacher and I don't know what to do. And I wasn't a good prayer yet. I didn't, I've been saved seven or eight months and I didn't pray every day. I didn't know. I said, I prayed. The only prayer I I thought was applicable. I said, God, if you want me to be a preacher, just let me think about only that. (laughs) The Lord is my witness. At that very moment, I stopped thinking about George Jones. (laughs) I stopped thinking about the little Debbies. I stopped thinking about the broken heart. And all I could see in my mind was what our pastor got up and preached. All I could see in my mind was big Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Sr. All I could see was when he, in my mind, when he would preach on Sundays. And then all of a sudden, I started picturing myself doing the same thing. And that my mind was focused in on that. I didn't know how to surrender to preach. 
I didn't know how to none of that because I was brand new. But, but I knew God had answered my prayer. So I put my truck in drive. I went all the way back to the preacher's house. By this time, it's midnight. I knocked on his door. He came to the door. What? I said, you was right. He said, what? I said, I'm a preacher. And I began to tell him. And never since then has God ever, just in a moment, taken away the chaos. But I thank God He did that night. If I was preaching this message and going to do an introduction maybe a year ago, I would go through a big spill of things like, I would say there's political chaos or I would say there's financial chaos and some of us have experienced civil chaos. I would try to get you in the, in the mindset of chaos, but I don't think that's necessary in 2020. You get it. Well, in these verses, the, the members... Of the church at Thessalonica, they had some chaos going on. And for them, one of those chaotic things was, what happens to our loved ones when they die? And I would submit to you, That question right there, if we cannot answer that, that's supreme chaos in our life. I want to say that everyone here, every one of us, we can find comfort in the chaos. If we'll apply... The three discoveries to our lives that are listed in these verses. I want to give you three discoveries. The Apostle Paul was writing and he wanted them to discover this. The first discovery is a proposition. He says to them, I would not have you, or I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Brothers and sisters, he says there's issue here. And I don't want you to be ignorant when it comes to the issue. The word ignorant is not a slanderous term. It means you don't know. It simply means uneducated. So what he's saying to them is, Brethren, I want you to be in the know. I want you to understand what God is saying to us. In verse 13 and following, the term, them which are asleep. Remember that from when I read the text? It literally means those who are dead. Many people suppose that the the Apostle Paul had heard that the Thessalonians, even though they were new believers in the Lord, 
that they had continued to lament or to grieve their loved ones that had died because they did not understand the concept of what happens to a believer after death. And so many, many scholars believe that they continue to lament like the heathen peoples who did not even know God. And so Paul writes to them. And, and he wants to clear up the puzzle concerning the doctrine of the resurrection. So he gives them this proposal or this proposition. And it's twofold, uh, this proposition is. And, and the first part of it is, because of God's Word, here's what he, he teaches them, because of God's Word, we have answers. And that's exactly what he's saying. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Paul's saying, hey look, we have a great God. He made the worlds and all that's in them. He's the creator of the universe. He made man in his own image. He's given us a word and I don't want you to be ignorant of that word. Can I remind you this morning... Dear brothers and sisters, because of God's Word, we have answers not only about life and death, but about everything in between. Everything in between. From the Old Testament days until the present, mankind has tried to solve the riddle of death and the afterlife. One writer said that philosophers have wrestled with the question of immortality. Spiritists have tried to communicate with those who have gone beyond. In our modern world, scientists have investigated the experiences of people who claimed to have died and returned to life again. They've also studied occult phenomena hoping to find the clue to the mystery of life after death. But the great Apostle Paul, he solved the equation when he wrote, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Paul's authority was not a spiritist. Paul's authority was not a scientist. His authority was not a philosopher. He said, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I'm telling you this by the word of the Lord. Aren't you glad when the preacher has a word from the Lord? Because of God's word, we have answers. But there's a second proposition here. And that is that because of God's word, we have assurance. And here's the assurance. There is life after death. We can mark it down. We can take it to the bank. We are made in the image of God. And there is life after death. We know that we are a trichotomy. We, we as humans are, we consist of body, soul, and spirit. The body has the five senses uh, senses, and it's what we see of each other. 
Our soul is the seat of our emotions and our spirit is that that God breathes into us that communicates with God Almighty. That's why when the Apostle Paul said in the book of Ephesians, ye are dead in your trespasses and your sins. He didn't mean they're dead physically. They were dead spiritually. And by the way, if you've never been saved by the amazing grace of God, your body's alive. Your, the seed of your emotions is alive. And that's what makes you who you are. But the spirit, the most important part, is still dead. In trespasses and sins. So discovery number one is a proposition. Let me give you discovery number two. He wanted them to discover a principle. A principle. Look with me if you will in verse number 14. It says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now here's the principle they were to discover. True hope comes by faith in Jesus Christ. If we want hope today, it only comes in Jesus. If we want comfort today, it comes in Jesus. Preacher was so right in his video message that the hope for America is not political. The hope for America is spiritual. But even more specific than just saying spiritual, it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why the scripture says in verse 14, for if... We believe. If. If. We believe. There's many in this room today, right now, hearing my voice. And you have believed. You put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. And you can testify to the fact that after you did that... Things didn't get perfect in your life and things didn't poof overnight. You didn't get rich. You didn't, none of that. But you'll testify and you'll say, oh, praise God, in the middle of my chaos, now I see the light. In the middle of my depression, now there's some hope that at least my soul is safe. But there's people also in this room and you're teetering on the if. You're you're teetering on the if. And you've thought about Jesus. You've thought about your life. You've thought about what you'd have to give up if you trusted Him. Can I help you with that? It's not giving up. It's coming to. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. True hope comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Here it is. Before we can rest in the hope of eternity, we must rest in eternal life. Did you get that? Before I can claim comfort in eternity one day, 
I must surrender myself and receive eternal life today. For tomorrow is too late. And this principle is true hope and true comfort comes by faith in Jesus Christ. I'd like to break that that down if you'll give me a moment. You see, the Bible teaches us that we as mankind, as humankind, we have a sin problem. We have a problem, and, and the problem is sin. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there's none righteous. And then it says, no, not one. The Bible goes on to, to tell us in Romans 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What does that mean, preacher? If you could envision a big dartboard on the wall and then envision my room as a teenage boy and no holes in the, in the dartboard but all the holes in the sheetrock. <laughs> the, the little red center that we call the bullseye, that's what we're all aiming for when we throw darts. But, but imagine never hitting the bullseye. We fall short of the bullseye. And so when the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, it means no man, woman, boy or girl, none of us, because of our sin, none of us has hit the bullseye. We've fallen short of living a life inside and out of who Jesus is and, and what Jesus accomplished. But I have good news. Jesus did not fall short. He hit the mark Every hour of every day. That's why he's qualified to be the savior of the world. Can I say this to you? I've had so many people during so many times and sharing my faith and stuff. I've had so many people just say, oh, oh, preacher. Oh, brother Travis. And here's the thing. Our sin may not be a problem to us. But it's a problem to God. So mankind has a problem. It's sin. But notice something else. According to the Bible, sin must, must be punished. And there's one punishment for sin, and that is death. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12 this is an enlightening verse. It says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, or death because of that sin. It goes on to say, And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You may be thinking, Well, well preacher, what? I'm not an especially bad guy. I pay my bills. I help little old ladies across the street. I give to the poor. You know, I, I'm not... How are you lumping me into the same category with really bad people? That's a legitimate question. 
It's a question I had. Preacher, what? how in the world could I be worthy of death? That's for murderers. The Bible teaches us in that verse, Romans 5 and, and verse number 12, it's not about the sins that we commit. It is about the sin nature that, that is mankind. That first man that sinned is Adam. And the Bible says, because Adam was the father of the human race, that when he sinned, that trait of sin was passed to all mankind. I'm a sinner not because I stole bubblegum when I was a kid, not because I lied to my mama that first time. That's just proof that I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner because I was born into this world as a sinner because of the fallenness of the human race. It's kind of like if we had a boat out on the ocean or out on Smith Lake or somewhere, and there was a really upstanding member of society in the front of the boat, and there was a scoundrel in the back. But the boat hit a big stump or something, and there was a big hole. Well, they're both sinking. In other words, we're all in the same boat. There's there's moral sinners. There's awful sinners. There's yellow sinners and red sinners and white sinners and black sinners for all have sinned. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So we see that mankind has a problem. Sin must be punished. But notice this. God provided a way of escape. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, in His love and mercy, Before we could clean our act up, before we could turn over a new leaf, before we could do anything to deserve it, He he commended His love toward us. He showed His love toward us while we were yet sinners. And then here's the last thing about this principle. By faith, we receive the gift of salvation. That's why the principle is so clear in verse 14. If we believe. You say, well, preacher, what if I don't believe? There's no comfort for the non-believer. There's no hope for the non-believer. But let me tell you what there is. There is still eternity for the non-believer. But I don't think you, and certainly I, want to experience that. 
How do we receive the gift of God's salvation? Well, Romans chapter 10 tells us a lot about that. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It goes on to say, for with the heart... Man believeth unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made. Oh my goodness! Folks, the good news is, we don't have to stay lost. We don't have to live forever under the penalty of sin or the wrath of a holy God. Jesus made a way of escape, and the way is straight through Him, through a humble heart and praying to God. And receiving Him. Amen. Amen. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we've talked about a proposition. God wants us to know this. We've talked about a principle. True faith comes only, uh, true hope comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me show you some, some more comfort in the chaos. A promise. Right here in these verses is probably the promise that the New Testament church hangs on to the greatest. In this promise is our hope. In this promise is our expectancy. In this promise is our escape from the chaos that is a fallen world. This promise has, it's a promise of a return. A return. Verse 16 says, For the Lord Himself. Now get this. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to this church, these new believers. And he says, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You've had loved ones who have died. You've had people who have, it's broken your heart. Let me give you a promise. He says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. Folks, he told them that one day in the future, Jesus Christ himself will return. Wow. That's great news. He's not going to return as a spirit. He's not going to return, as as preacher has said, as as that uh, humble Uh, lamb in the manger he's not going to return as a victim but he will return as the glorious king of his creation I like what 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 they what the disciples were told in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11 right after this is this is several days after the resurrection of Christ from the grave when he, and then he, his ascension back up into heaven. And the disciples are awestruck. And listen what the angel said. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. That's the promise of the Lord's return. And notice this. It says this same Jesus. That's how we know it'll be in His resurrected, glorified body. 
Because when He came out of the grave, He did not resurrect as a spirit. He resurrected in a glorified body. Maybe a whole lot like the body we're going to have when we are in heaven. And He will return. So the promise is a return. Then the promise deepens with a resurrection. Watch what, what, watch what happens here. The Bible says in verse 16, the latter part of it, it says, and, and after this, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now here's where he really cleared up the chaos for the ones that were grieving about their lost loved ones. He said those who are dead in Christ, that means at the time they died, they were safe in Christ. They were saved. They were believers. You say, well, well can a lost person die in Christ? No. A lost person dies outside of the saving grace of Christ. That's why we need to get saved today. Now is the day of salvation. But here's what he told them. When Jesus returns, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That is proof for us that those ones you love who died in Christ, my granny, my papa, my loved ones who were believers, who were looking for His coming when they went through the door of death, when Jesus returns, they will rise first. You say, preacher, that's pretty spooky. It gets worse than that. (laughs) This is the Bible, not the New York Times. (laughs) The graves will literally open and the dead in Christ will rise. That's a resurrection. Just like Jesus rose. Well, preacher, how do you know they'll rise and, and they'll have bodies? Because just like Jesus, Jesus rose in a body, a glorified body. But notice, there's not only going to be a return and a resurrection, there's going to be a rapture. There's going to be a rapture. The Bible says in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Caught up together with them. Oh my goodness, do you realize that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the only ones that can claim such a promise that's based in historical truth that was God-breathed into the Word of God. My goodness. There's going to be a rapture. Don't set your tent pegs too deep. Honestly. I mean, I think we ought to... Obviously, we need to, we need to do some investing. We need, to, we need to take care of our family. The Bible says if we don't take care, feed our family, we're worse than the infidel. But that better not be where our hope lies. That money better not be what we bank on to comfort our heart. If so, there ain't a dollar figure that can do it. Amen? So there's going to be a return, a resurrection, a rapture, 
And praise God, there's going to be a reunion. In verse 17, look at these sweet words. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together, watch this, with them. With them. With who? With all the saints that were already passed away. With them. And we will be reunited. You'll see him again, ma'am. You'll see her again, sir. You'll see him again, daddy. You'll see him again, mama. There's going to be a reunion with them. Now let me give you one more thing as we land this plane. One more. Uh, what was my key word, Hunter? One more discovery. He told him also about a plan. Preacher Doug, there's a plan. In the last verse, verse 18, I didn't see this really until this morning. And Hunter helped me get this, this part together. Read verse 18. Wherefore, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Because of all this, comfort one another with these words. Comfort means to strengthen, to invigorate, to strengthen the mind when depressed. Notice something about this plan. It is a specific plan. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why is is fellowship so important? Because the lost world is not telling you these words. Why is it important to have good Christian friends who are right with God? Because you can speak into their life these words and they can speak into your life these words and you can both remember He's coming! He's coming! He's coming! This world is not my home! It's a specific plan. Listen, folks. The way to get comfort in the chaos is not one more Facebook post or one more tweet. It ain't them words. It's these words. It's not reading somebody's thing that says, I just need to rant for a minute. Do me a favor. If you ever read something that starts out like that, scroll on by. It ain't these words. It's not watching some hot shot, hot shots video where he's red faced and screaming at the top of his lungs and can't even process the thoughts coming out of his mouth because there's something coming so quick. It ain't them words, it's these words. This is a specific plan. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Folks, this world really isn't our home. You say, yeah, but preacher, we got to live here right now. I know, and that's why the Bible says comfort each other. He's coming again. It's impossible to be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That's a myth. If you're too too heavenly minded, what does that mean? What we need is some Christians to be less worldly minded. So we can encourage each other. Man, we got hope. We have a source of comfort. These are, this is a specific plan. But let me tell you something. It's a sufficient plan. He didn't end up this little passage of Scripture 
with 1,900 things you had to do to, to finally find some comfort? He said, let me tell you what, what to do. And remember, he's talking to a church. He's talking to a local New Testament church. He, a group of believers, a called out assembly that, that assembles together. And he says, let me tell you what to do, y'all. He said, talk to each other about this. Talk to each other. It's sufficient. It's enough. Let me show you a couple verses to, to show you it's enough. Do you have Psalm 119.89? I I don't have that wrote down. Did y'all have that? Look at this. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I heard one preacher one time. He said it's settled in heaven and it's settled in here. Amen. It ain't up for grabs. It ain't up for opinion. God's word is settled. Look at this. Psalm 119 and 92. Unless thy law... There's seven different synonyms used for the word of God in Psalms 119. Uh, Word, statutes, law, all those. Unless thy law, the word of God, had been my delights, I should then have perished in mine affliction. You see that? Somebody says, well, how are you Christians making it? These words. Look, there's one more. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You seen any offended people lately? (laughs) Offend means to cause to stumble, to, to be a trip stick, to be a stumbling block. And if we want to know how we can have comfort in the chaos, oh, we need these words. Jesus is coming again. 